This is the number one mistake vendors make in the 37 years I've been in real estate. That's Tom Panos. Right. That is Tom Panos. Right. That's a hook. That's a hook. That's a hook. Tom, you're one of the great coaches, trainers, personalities of our industry. You've made an immeasurable impact on the Australasian real estate community and you're one of the most recognisable figures in Australian and New Zealand real estate. So thanks for coming on Real Agent. Thank you for having me, Carter. We're in the Pacific Byron Bay here today, which is a beautiful home here in Byron and thanks to the team for accommodating us. Where I want to start with this, Tom, is with something that literally happened to you this week on Tuesday night. It was 9 p.m. and an agent called you three, four times. His number wasn't saved in your phone. What was the story here and what was the the key takeaway that you took from it? Okay, so um, if we're talking about the the story uh, about a real estate agent who uh, had another agent uh, ring up anonymously, get a price guide off him, um, then... Uh, that price guide was then fed to the vendor by ringing up the vendor um, and saying, oh, you know, your real estate agent is quoting this number, right? And we often know it's a bit of a sensitive issue between vendors and, um, and agents, particularly with auctions, and then um, continued on with the behaviour of the night before the auction, calling the vendor up and saying, hey, I'm letting you know, good news, I've been speaking to a buyer and they're going to pay big money for your home tomorrow, so you'll be all good, which is another tactic to sabotage and poison the uh, the vendor's mind, you know, a, a vulnerable vendor, obviously, everyone's vulnerable the night before their auction. Uh, but it's just like, if you lose a listing, you don't become resentful and, and um, aggressive and um, toxic. Um, lose with dignity. Yeah. And you asked that agent out of 10 how big of a catastrophe that was. And what did he say and then what did you say? Yeah, so, um, and that's, that's a very good point because I think in the real estate agency industry, we have a lot of people that are drama queens, man. We have a lot of people that are drama queens. They lose a listing or they have an issue. And uh, this person said to me, when I said to them, well, I'm just curious, out of 10, 10 being the worst problem in the world, zero being the best problem, right? Zero being like, there's no issues. What would you score it? And they said, uh, probably, a, I think a nine or 10 out of 10. Like they hadn't slept, right? They were furious, blah, 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 for a day or two. And I said, okay, if that's a 10 or a nine out of 10, tell me what you think your child committing suicide that's 20 years of age is, what score would you put that if that's a 10? And um, I think he sort of said, oh, well, that's a 10. I said, well, they can't be the same sort of uh, score. I said, like, realistically, now that you think about it, what score when you compare your child? And, I mean, it has happened. We all know this week Matt Steinway lost his son you know, one of the great real estate agents in Australian real estate for the last 35 years. So these things do happen. It's not a problem till it happens to you. Um, and then at the end of it, I think he says, oh, when I compare it to that, like realistically, it's under a one out of 10. So I think Carter, it's a good technique. Scaling is a very good technique. You know, it's something that I learned. So my, my, my master's degree is in coaching psych, right? And I often go back to some of the, the tools that I learned when I was doing my master's 
Um, and that's one of them, you know, to, to look at things as they are, not worse or not better than what they are as they are. Um, because humans are really bad at predicting the future and estimating how things are going to go. They're normally more negative in their outlook. Scott Galloway, you reposted one of his reels. He was on 60 Minutes, American guy, and he has a great saying, nothing is as good or as bad as it seems. Oh, I love a, that sentence. Yeah. I love that sentence. Now, what I find interesting about that story is you were telling that to a room full of your Real Estate Gym Plus members and you were with one of Queensland's most successful agents who was in the crowd at that point and then you invited him up on stage. And the first thing he made a point of saying, and I want to ask you if you think this is a common trait of the high performers that you've known and worked with, is he said, whilst it is unfortunate what happened to that listing agent with the other agent making that phone call to their sellers, it is the listing agent's 100% fault because in his process, he was in control of, in a set to sell meeting, for example, prefacing that something like this could happen, which I found so interesting. And he made a point of saying 100% accountability on that listing agent. Whilst it is unfortunate, he should take ownership of that happening to him. It's not, he's not a victim in that scenario. He was actually in the driver's seat. Do you think that's a common thread with the top agents that you work with that they have a mindset where they have 100% accountability for everything happening in their Absolutely. business. Absolutely. I mean, the reason why Matt Lancashire is arguably, you know, one of the best real estate agents in the country over the last few decades is that he has what I call an internal locus of control. In the great book, Learned Optimism by Professor Seligman, who's an incredible architect of positive psychology, he studied that people either have an internal locus of control or an external locus of control. An internal locus of control is a person that says, I can control things and I'll focus on the things that I can control and I'll let go of the others. And an external locus of a control person is a person that actually is outsourcing every problem um, and sort of saying, it's not my fault. There's nothing I can do about it. Look at what that other agent did. Uh, I can't do anything about it. So what Martin Seligman learnt is people that focus on what they can control do significantly better in every area of their life, business, relationships, health, than people that have an external locus of control, that people that actually turn around and say, oh, it's too hard, there's nothing I can do. So he's turned around Carter and he's basically said, hey, I can't control another agent doing that to my vendors. What I can control is what I do with my vendors. I will set them up. Uh, let them know it's going to happen. That way, when it happens, that person is exposed as actually being a dishonest, deceptive person. And I can only achieve that if I have a decent, crucial conversation with my vendor at the start of the campaign. You mentioned your Masters in Coaching Psych. This CBT model that you've spoken about in the past, cognitive... It's good you've done your research, Carter. I like that. <laughs> have to. So... Let's talk about this from the, the order taker and the deal maker's perspective, but when it comes to your reality as a real estate agent. So let's just say following on the thread that you've just laid out there, something negative externally happens, negative sentiment around interest rates and agents just received news they've lost a listing. That's the event. The agent with room to improve potentially allows that too easily to impact their feelings and their emotional state. And then they allow their actions and behaviors to be driven by that now negative feeling in an emotional state. Whereas potentially the pros that you work with, they go, there's a, neg there's a negative thing that happens. They allow themselves to feel it. They get over it quickly. They're resilient to it. But then their actions and behaviors, even if they aren't feeling the best, are driven by discipline and habit. 
how important of a trait have you noticed that is in the top performance? Because you are going to receive shit news in this business. It happens all the time. So the day your life changes is the day you make the decisions, I'm going to run a values-based life, not a feelings-based life. The day you turn around and say, hey, I might not feel good, but my behaviour will not match my feelings because I know that if I change my behaviour, my feelings will then change. That's what cognitive behavioural therapy is. It's basically saying there's a triangle, thoughts, feelings, actions and that they're all interconnected. And the reality is if you actually change your actions, you can actually change your thoughts, you can change your feelings. Um, the easiest of all to change, Carter, is your behaviour. And that's why winners are action-oriented. Like, it's, you know, if you're sad, um, it's not easy to sort of say, I'm unsad, I'm unsad. You can't, you know, uh, 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 brainwash yourself. But what you can do is go for a run which is going to get your heart rate up, which is going to get the endorphins going, which is going to have the happy chemicals going through your body. And all of a sudden, because you changed your actions, you're actually feeling better. And because you're feeling better, you're thinking better. And before you know it, you're back on track, right? So you, so you change your behaviours. And that's what Maddie Lancashire and a lot of the pros do is they understand, I'm the problem, I'm the solution, what am I going to do about it? right? Whereas someone that's a loser, a victim will say, it's not my fault. There's nothing I can do about it. What I've learned from your content, because you simplify everything, is that the blueprint for success in real estate, it's actually really quite simple on paper to understand. It's the challenges in the execution and pulling these simple things off. Two of the most simple things that there are in real estate is time and energy. And we were talking about Gav's podcast just before we started recording here on his show, you were sort of breaking down how you look at your hourly rate. And I wanted to ask you when it comes to time and understanding the value of your time intimately, do you think it's an important exercise for agents to actually know what their time is worth per hour, both in terms of where they are now and where they could be if they write the GCI that they want to write so they understand what it's costing them to not be there? And then in terms of energy, how do the top agents that you've seen and worked with ruthlessly protect their golden hours so they can be as dollar productive with those golden hours as possible? Okay, so two questions there, Carter. Part one is um, the value of knowing your hourly rate and what are the pros and cons and does it make a difference? And the second one I think you're asking me is how... Protecting golden hours. The golden hours. Okay, so let's touch on the first one. So if I know that I'm worth $1,000 an hour hypothetically, that's not a, a number that's accurate, I'm just using it for argument's sake, a thousand an hour. And then someone brings me up and says, hey, Tommy, I want to catch up, just want to chew the fat, have a bit of a, have a, bit of a catch up. Uh, uh, mate, you're around uh, uh, Savo, three o'clock, meet you there. Like, if you don't know your hourly rate, you'll say, oh yeah, mate, oh, it's not raining, it's a nice day, yeah, I'll go and catch up with him for half an hour, an hour. But if you know your hourly rate, what you're gonna turn around and say is, if I choose to do this, it's costing me $500. That's not a problem. If you value what you're about to do more than $500 and you wanna catch up with him because it means more to you, that's not a problem. But you gotta understand, time is money. And if you know your hourly rate, you're going to make better choices on how you spend your money.
And I think, or sorry, how you spend your time. And Carter leads me on to part two. So a lot of these real estate agents have this constant chronic guilt when they're bludging. I've just noticed it. I've noticed they've got this, they've got this unmet need and they feel guilty when they're not being dollar productive. Now, is that healthy to be like that for the rest of your life? Probably not. But early on in your real estate career, you know, if uh, you really want to start moving ahead, know what you're worth because then what you'll do is you'll guard and you'll protect those hours because when they ask you to go and have a coffee instead of prospecting, they're saying, please lend me $500. That's what they're saying. Give me $500, but I'm not even going to give it back to you, right? So you change the way that you think. Work harder on yourself than the job. This is a Jim Rohn quote you've sort of loosely paraphrased in the past. Having a great life on and off the court as a real estate agent, you've said you want agents to have great lives on the court and off the court. And I was listening to a video you had posted, I think a few years back, and you were talking about how if when an agent gets into real estate, they don't, they wouldn't take the deal, do you want to write a mil or two mil in GCI, but have every other area of your life crumble. But that is sometimes what ends up happening, isn't it? Real estate, Carter can take everything off you and then spit you back out. That's what real estate can do, right? And the reason I say it is there is always something to do. So the truth of the matter is you have every reason in the world if you want to be successful in real estate to not go home. There's always another phone call. There's always another strategy document that you can do for your marketing plan. There's always another vendor meeting. There's just constant stuff that you can be doing. So you don't want to fall into the trap where you become so addicted to work and that you go down the path of what I call the gap. And the gap is where you're always looking forward because there's a gap from where you want to be to where you are now. So you're always striving, striving, striving and never quite arriving. I have a formula for success and my formula is... um, what you have divided by what you want, right? It's an interesting mathematical formula. What you have versus what you want. Think about it. If you actually reduce what you want, you'll be happier, right? That's the formula. Happiness equals what you have versus you want. So you can play around with any of those levers there to improve your happiness. And for me, what I've learned is Less is more. Want less. The gap gets smaller then because I'm not going to be one of these guys that's striving, striving, striving and never quite arriving. And you made a very valid point. There's a heap of real estate people. I met one the other day on the Gold Coast. I was having a bite to eat and he came over. He says, I used to be in real estate. I hear that sometimes now. I used to be in real estate. And I said, all right. And he goes, yeah, got out... You know, uh, health, blood pressure, stress, heart. And he goes to me, he goes, you probably won't remember me, young man. He was a little bit older than me. He goes, you probably won't remember me. But I was the number one agent in such and such area for four years in a row. Got all the trophies to show. Anyway, he was a nice enough guy, but I saw him walk away, 140 kilos, 
looked unhealthy um, in the conversation. Uh, it came out that he was on the Gold Coast, single after his fourth marriage. And I thought to myself, that's not why you got into real estate. To at 65 years of age to say I was the top agent for three years in a row, but I'm fat, I'm sick, I'm unhappy, no relationships. Um, that's not what the game is. So you've got to be very, very intelligent in learning how to create boundaries in your life and that you allow Carter time for self-care. It's this hard balance. And you mentioned that that agent, that example had been divorced a few times. As one example of a somewhat niche topic in terms of the off the field stuff, not the prospecting, listing, selling things is it requires a lot of sacrifice to be successful. And if you do currently have a partner, you kind of need to have these honest conversations, don't you, about what you're heading into. Otherwise, it's just, it's not going to end well. And it, it happens a fair bit in the industry. And I think you did a similar thing with your wife, I remember 100%. hearing. So I think crucial conversations or the avoidance of crucial conversations are the biggest killers of businesses, relationships, even deals, even negotiations, the avoidance of the thing that needs to be said, right? There's a great saying, what you befriend, you'll transcend, what you resist will persist. So you avoid it, you avoid it, it's still there, it's not going away. And um, people that learn the art of having a crucial conversation, and there's a great book by Susan Jeffers which says, feel the fear and do it anyway. We all feel tension and fear when things are uncomfortable. And for me, an uncomfortable conversation was telling my wife many, many years ago, hey, listen, we both come from backgrounds that we had nothing. We come from one of the lowest socioeconomic parts of Sydney. Both our families like Struggle Street, good people, but. I said to her, I want my life to be different, better. I want to be able to have choices. I want to be able to uh, wake up and say, today's a nice day. It's going to be nice tomorrow. It'll be nice the day after. I'm going to work out of Byron Bay for the next three days. I want to be able to choose where I holiday, what I drive, where the kids go to school, I want to be able to have freedom. I said to her, so for us to have freedom, it means there's a price need to be paid. I want to let you know this is the price that needs to be paid. I want to be on the same page with you right from the outset because if you are on a different page to me, we're going to end up having a big crash. So this is what I'm thinking. And what it essentially means is for a decade, I'm in for 70 to 80 hours a week. It means that I won't go to as many family functions. It means that I might miss some important things, um, but it will mean that we've got a prize at the end of it, eyes on the prize. I said, it's a decade project. And um, I said, think about it and tell me what you think. She just said, right, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board 100%. In fact, I, I don't want it any other way. So I think you need to have it, Carter, because... You, Gary V. when I went to USA, there's a guy, you probably know, the internet marketer or... I, I remember your Eric interview like it was yesterday, yeah. Yeah, so I've done two Eric interviews with him. Oh, really? Right? I've done two. Um, 
Uh, one was I went to New York. When I went to New York, and that was, I think, 2016, 2017, as I was leaving, I remember what he said. He said, look, you know, don't underestimate the birth lottery, where you're born, what you're born into, and the marriage lottery. He goes, because you pick a partner that's ringing you up at 5 o'clock in the afternoon telling you, pick up the milk and bread, you need to be home at 6 o'clock, dinner's ready, I don't want it to go cold, you take over, you bath the children tonight at 7 o'clock. If that's the conversation that's going to be had, right, you might find that you're going to have a conflict if you're a real estate agent that wants to go hard. I'm not saying that you're going to have to abandon your, your family uh, needs, but it essentially means that you might not be able to be at the dinner table at 6 o'clock Monday through to Thursday in the early part of your career because you're at a listing presentation or you've got to go set a reserve meeting or you've got to try and get a, a vendor to accept an offer and you don't want to do it by phone. So you're actually going to drive to their place, which is half an hour away, and you're going to stay there for an hour and a half, right? These are the things that real-life things that actually happen. So the partner that you select and the conversation you have with your partner is super critical. And it goes vice versa. You know, there are so many great female real estate agents who love their real estate career, um, who may have their, their partner, you know, uh, uncomfortable with their success and their time away and their passion for their job because they don't like their job that they've got themselves and it's a nine-to-five type job. So the conversation is very important. On um, commission breath, I call that a Tom, Pan Tom Panosism. I don't care if someone else came up with it. In my mind, you did. Anyway, in sort of listening to you, it seems as though there's a few antidotes to this. And obviously, building a full pipeline is probably the best way. You have this abundant mindset about the opportunities you've got coming up. And we'll talk about that soon. But having a full bank account as well potentially isn't a bad way to not ever feel in a position of need. And I remember you making a social media post a little while back about this fictitious or maybe it was real million dollar agent and he had a million dollars of GCI turnover and next to nothing left over because he'd spend all his money in, in effect. If you were addressing a room full of high performers that were writing at least a million in GCI and there was a room full of them, just knowing what you know now about the industry and you're quite a wealthy guy personally, what practical words of wisdom would you have to them about their spending habits in general? If you feel that's a topic you're even passionate about? And do you think it's a genuinely practical thing and good advice for agents to keep some cash in the bank so they don't ever feel like they need the next one? Love it, Karna. Love talking about this topic because there's a lot... I mean, there's a social media character called The Broke Agent in the USA, which I occasionally see his content on uh, Insta or TikTok. Um, but I've got to tell you, uh, there's a lot of broke agents. That's a fact. He's just a, you know, fictitious character online, but I've got to tell you, there's a lot of real broke agents. And the reason why is they haven't focused on leftover. They focus on turnover. The reason why is volume is vanity, profit is sanity. The reason why is that they will go off and they will buy things that they don't need to impress people that frankly they often don't even care about. So they get into this vicious circle. I don't have the money, but I'll still buy that thing. 
I'll buy that thing because that thing will make up for a gap that I have internally. It will make me look better on the outside. I want to look better on the outside because I want to impress them. And if I impress them, I will feel better. Stop that game. The best way to get someone's approval is to not need it in the first place. You can't win in that game, right? There's always going to be someone that's got more money, better looking, funnier, bigger house, smarter kid, whatever KPIs you want to use on life success. So Carter, for me, all I've got to say is if you're a real estate agent now, your goal should be to make as much money as you can very quickly to be your deposit for your first home. End of story. That's what it's got to be. Your next goal then is to, um, if you're going to move into that home, if it's going to be your principal place of residence, your next goal then is to quickly suffocate that loan, strangle it, get rid of it, right? Because when you live in something, it's not tax deductible. The government won't help you pay it off. Once you've done that, I think you've laid the platform and you'll have to be a real idiot to stuff it up from here. Because if you can get a home, have it paid off very early, that then becomes a tool for leverage. Then you can be buying a home once every two years, save a little bit of a deposit, negative gear, have a, your company ideally be working as, if you're an agent, working as a corporation, as a contractor, right? That's going to help you a lot as well for taxation reasons. Your negative gearing real estate. And then what actually happens is 15 years later, you've got your principal place of residence paid off. You've bought a home every two years. So in 15 years, you're up to eight homes. Um, life's good. Um, that's the path. Make money while you sleep. How do you make money while you sleep? You put it into assets that grow. What are they normally? Real estate or blue chip shares? Maybe some of these new digital currencies, crypto, I'd find it hard to fall asleep having millions in crypto, right? You want to make money while you sleep. So again, addressing this same room full of high performing agents, some of them writing a mil, two mil plus, three or four mil plus, and they're flirting with starting their own business at that point. They've been approached with an opportunity or thinking about doing it themselves. You've said something interesting in the past, which is if it is just about optimizing for your net worth, it's potentially a better strategy to just focus on your EBU, keep printing as much cash as you can and just doing this strategy. Yeah. So Carter, I think there's nothing with wrong with business ownership in real estate. Um, and I have various clients I advise them, like some of the clients that I've ad advised in recent years to do exactly that, uh, Josh Teslin, like I was working with him uh, as a real estate agent, now he's a business owner, Peter Diamantides. These are people I've worked for, Diamantides worked for him with for decades, right? For these people, I, I recommend it. The reason why is they want to grow people, they get a kick out of it. They also have this thing, I want to build this incredible real estate company. So basically it's not to do with money, right? So if you turn around and say it's all got to do with money and you don't care about growing people and you've got nothing special that you want to build, stay as an EBU. Go get yourself one or two co-agents, 
couple of assistants, whatever model you're going to use, but work with the business within the business, work as a contractor, write $2 million, strike a deal with your employer that you're getting a decent split, you're writing $2 million, bucks, couple of people, you know, after that you're probably, you know, you'd be making close to a million bucks a year and you don't have any headaches of running a rent roll, all these staff issues of a big business, all the legislation and government. You can go on holidays, you take your million dollars, you're buying lots of real estate. As I said earlier on, you're buying lots of real estate. Life is good. Look around the whole industry. There's a lot of people that have got that model. Alternatively, if you want to be someone, hey, I want to build this incredible business. If you're the sort of guy that sits at, at an awards night and when they call your salesperson up, you get jealous because you want to be up there. That to me is a sign that you shouldn't be a principal, that you are still a person that wants to be a player, right? But if you're the sort of guy that sits at the awards night and they say, and the number one agent for this year is such and such, and he's a guy that's been working with you for four years, he started when he actually finished, you know, uh, university or school, you gave him a gig as an assistant, you've watched them grow and then he's up there getting the... T and it's making you so happy. They're the people that make good principles, the people that list people and grow people. But if you want to list real estate and grow your GCI, probably stay as an EBU. He or she with the most appointments wins is something that you've said. And again, a classic Gav one is prospecting until you become the prospected. So on sort of building the full pipeline, which I touched on earlier, I remember you were in front of this office doing a training session and you were talking about, you know, you've drilled into them 30 conversations, but it's the reality of when they arrive at their desk the following morning or Monday morning and they go, where's the data? Oh, that, that person I haven't spoken to in six years, that's gonna be an awkward conversation, I'll skip that one. And they just never actually make a single phone call because they're just skipping everyone, they don't know who to call, they don't have clean data, they don't know what to say. We were just talking about it a bit earlier, but something like an ID for me as an example of a platform of here's a whole bunch of data, it kind of takes away the complexity of having to go through all that. If you don't have a clean database, just, just do something because you need to be talking to people and asking them if they want to sell their house. ShotFlow has created technology in-house which automatically edits high quality and affordable property videos. This means you can get a coming soon, a just listed and a just sold reel with enough leftover budget for a spend that guarantees thousands will actually see this video or vendor paid for less than the price of a regular property video. To learn more, head to shopflow.io. Again, that is shopflow.io or head to any of their socials. It's all at shopflow.io. Sellerleadsforagents.com.au. If you would pay for more potential seller leads in your farm area to get you in more doors and increase your GCI, head to www.sellerleadsforagents.com.au and sign up. Again, that's www.sellerleadsforagents.com.au and sign up. A special thanks to the team at Pacific Byron Bay for lending us this home in Byron for our set today for Real Agent. If you're interested in short-term stays, long-term lease, or you potentially consider buying a home in Byron at the right price, head to www.pacific.com.au to learn more there. Again, that's www.pacific.com.au to learn more there. Link will be in description. 100% Carter. So what you're talking about is called paralysis by overanalysis. I take it a step further. What you're talking about is conflict avoidance. What we're talking about is constantly coming up 
with reasons in your head to actually protect you from the real work, the real emotional labour. And sometimes it'll be, I don't have the data, I don't have the time, I've got too many listings at the moment, um, it doesn't work in my area, uh, it's a bad week, my mother-in-law's visiting from New Zealand, so I'm off out of pattern. Whatever it is, I find that people will always give you some sort of reason that gives them an okay get out of prospecting pass, right? But really when you drill down, what it is is I want to be approved, I don't want to be rejected. When I make a call, I risk of that happening, right? So that is one of the big drivers, Carter, of why people don't prospect. They have this fear of rejection. They have this fear of failure. They have this fear I'm not going to be approved. They have this fear I'll be seen as a desperate, needy, commission breath agent, right? But that aside, there are other people that all they've got to do is change a couple of levers and they'll actually make it easier to prospect. And if you get rid of the friction, you're in the game. Example, if you've got a list of people to call, you're more likely to call them than if they say, go call 20 people. Because, oh, who do I have to call? Where am I going to get their names? So all of a sudden you're going to spend time that should be spent on calls finding people to call. So there's no question about it. There's a hack. Powerful lists equal powerful results. Align yourself with a prop tech company that has got artificial intelligence that can provide you a list of high probability calls uh, once a day that you can call. Um, uh, have your CRM system um, uh, punch out the next 20 people that you should be calling that day. Have your assistant, your co-agent uh, provide lists. Powerful lists equal powerful results. There's an example of a hack. Another example could be that you've got a hack in your system and that is that I don't go to the office till 10.30. And what I do is from 9 to 10.30, I sit in my Tesla, air conditioning on, no one can interrupt me, and I sit in my Tesla and I make 20 calls. And I know that that's going to help me because I'm not going to actually have my computer open. It's not going to mean my inbox is going to take me into that vortex. It's going to mean that I'm not going to have the guy that sits next to me tap me on the shoulder and say, oh, Tom, have you got a minute? It means that you're improving your probability of making your calls. So when you add two things together, which is, hey, AI and the list of people, and then also I'm sitting in my Tesla. It doesn't have to be a Tesla. It's just got to be isolated somewhere. Tesla's useful, but because, you know, the battery is not going to drain out. You can have the car sort of working there and you want the right temperature control. But besides that, it doesn't have to be. You could be actually making those calls in a Suzuki Jimny for that matter, right? It doesn't matter. Um, so those two things can help you. Another thing that can help you is to learn to become a Teflon personality. It'll help a lot. Because when you become a Teflon person, you become person, a Carter, that things slide off you. When you're a Velcro personality, everything sticks with you. People in real estate that are Velcro struggle. Negative stuff happens, they carry it with them everywhere they go. Another thing I've heard you say in the past is, if you have a really well put together listing presentation that you're happy with, 
it also is a sort of another hack to make you want to prospect because you know you've got this weapon that you can sort of unleash in the living room. You said this a few years ago and you might disagree with it, but I heard you say that it potentially could be a helpful frame for an agent to carry if they're parked out front of their next listing presentation to sort of imagine that an agent has just been to see those sellers and has pitched at 0% commission because it sort of gets to the heart at what you're trying to do in that appointment, which is present, as you say, a house maximization plan and move their psychology on the fact that it is genuinely the most profitable thing for them to do to list with you. Because even if the, the other guy is or girl is free, if you're unlocking that five or 10% premium, doesn't matter if you cost two or 3%, they're still ahead. 100%. So I have a view that um, in listing presentations, example, you've brought up an example, make the assumption that they're charging zero. When you make the assumption they're charging zero, your whole focus does not become about winning on fee because you can't. Your focus becomes on winning on price and winning on price at more than 2%. So basically think about it. If they're going in at 0%, in your head, you're going to go in at 2%. You've got to come up with a plan that's going to show them, I'll get you 10% more. Because if I get you 10% more and I'm 2%, you're 8% better off going with me. That's the right mindset for that agent to have, right? I think you should always go in with a mindset that's going to optimise your performance. I think that you should be sitting at an open for inspection and assuming everyone that walks through an open is a potential vendor, right? I think you should, um, like I have to tell you, in real estate, there are two types of presentations, listings. There's the catch and kill and there's the trusted client that's on your database, relationship, follow you on social. So one of them, there's trust in the relationship and the other one is catch and kill. They call three agents, all three come in, give us your pitch. What are you charging? What's your advertising? How are you going to market it? What's your commission? What do you reckon it's worth? Bang, bang, bang. It's an audition. I actually tell agents, even to the listing presentations that they go, that are trusted relationships, don't assume treat it as a catch and kill. Do it perfectly from A to Z because you fall into the trap sometimes, Carter, where you think I'm entitled to this business. I'll just cut the corners. Nah, happens to me in my business. So I, I don't pitch for listings, but I pitch for conferences. They ring me up, Tom, I learned the hard way. I learned the hard way. I had a client, they used me six years in a row. They ring up, they ring up. They turned around, they said, Tom, want to book you in for a conference? Are you available? And this date was in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, this is our theme this year. I said, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Didn't want to explore it any further. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. No worries. How, how, how long do you need me for? Um, an hour? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, I'll have to fly in that night, fly out there. Yeah, do that. Okay. Uh, and uh, Tom, what's the fee? Yeah. 7,700 including GST, you're going to have to pay for the fare, the, the night's accommodation. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, leave it with us. I just, in my head, you're using me every year, deal's done. They ring me back about a week later. Oh, Tom, we'll, we'll just leave it for this year. It's fascinating. What it is, is they speak to another trainer, sits there, 
listens to the everything, goes through it, actually treats it like a catch and kill. I assumed, I felt I was entitled to the business, but not anymore now. Now I think about it. I think to myself, what do they really want this conference to look like if it's going to be an absolute success? So instead of me just saying, oh, that's my fee, that's my accommodation, these are the dates, I would now say, Carter, I just want to ask you, I know I've done a lot of work with you over the last six years, but if we were going to have the best real estate conference you've ever run, tell me what would that look like in your eyes? I'm just curious, Mr and Mrs Client, if this was the best real estate conference in New Zealand, what are the three things that would come out of it? Right? I would be probing, I would be diagnosing, right? Um, so, yeah. Very, very important. Don't assume that you get the business. It's a privilege to have an opportunity, not an entitlement. Another thing that you made a post about, and let's sort of continue in this imaginary listening presentation, is you made a post about an agent being impeccable with their word, which I think dovetails nicely with expectation setting like a professional. And the most classic example of where you could trip up and it's tempting to trip up is subject of price comes up and it's a house that's probably worth 1.9 to 2.1 and the sellers say, will you get us 2.3 million? And if you're lazy with your language, you can paint yourself into a corner whereas there is an elegant way to sort of not kill dreams but at the same time not give false expectations either. Yeah, so let's, let's answer this one here live. Yep. You're the vendor, I'm the agent. This is why being impeccable with your word is critical, Carter. Let me give you wrong approach. Carter, you're the vendor. This is the wrong approach. Um, you're talking about 2.3, is it, Carter, you're, you're hoping to get? That's what we want. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon, man, I've got to tell you, I, there's not a heap of stock around at the moment in this area, this kind of property. You're in a really good street. I reckon, yeah, I reckon two threes, um, yeah, I reckon two threes achievable. I've actually got buyers that'll probably buy that. We wouldn't be surprised. We might even be able to sell it pretty quickly without too much marketing. Um, but it's worth two three, yeah, 650 square metres. Yeah, yeah, very close to it. That's the wrong approach because you've given me the context before. It's a 2-1 property, right? What's going to happen in four or five weeks? You're trying to get a deal wrapped up at 2-1. They're saying, but you're the one that told us you'd get 2-3. This is the right approach. Carter, you mentioned a figure of around 2.3 and I've got to tell you, I would love to achieve that number. I think that would be an incredible number to achieve and I'd, I'd love to be aligned to that number. The good news is, is we don't have to nail that today right? We've got to know the process, the method. We've got to know how we're going to go about to try and get that number. Uh, but I've got to tell you, it's the process and not the promise of a figure today that's going to get you top dollar. So let's get into work. And I want to actually show you how we're going to go about it. Because to achieve that price level, that is what we call a heart buyer, an emotional buyer. And I can tell you, if two threes out there, I'll get it, right? But based on the comparables, it's saying to us that that is an ambitious figure. But I don't care because right now you're hiring me to try and find someone who's got the same opinion on value as what you do as your home. That's my job, even though the data says that that's going to be a stretch. That is a far better way because in two, three weeks' time, when I'm mainly getting 2.1, mate, we're going back to that conversation 
I said to you, if it was out there, I'd get it. I said to you, that would be a great number. I said to you, that was an emotional buyer. I said that that would be a hard buyer. I said, I'd love to be aligned at that number if we got it. But I thought that the comparables were around 2.1. They both give hope. One's honest, one's a lie. VPA, obviously you sort of did a PhD in selling VPA during your time with Wentworth and News Corp, obviously. Any single script or dialogue aside, how important or underrated do you feel it is for an agent to genuinely understand there are so many things you could put on a marketing schedule, so many different things, especially nowadays. How important is it to actually take some time to understand the spread of what's out there, do a little bit of homework on all the products that are available and just only put forward the ones where you feel it's appropriate and you genuinely think it's great value for money and they work. Because then do you even need a script or dialogue if it's something that you have complete conviction in that you think no. it's the best thing for them? So Carter, let's be clear. There's only two things a real estate agent brings to the table in a transaction. What they bring in is more buyers by having more marketing and attracting. And then the second thing they bring in is once they've located the best buyer, extracting all the money they can out of that buyer. So really what an agent brings to the table is two things, marketing awareness and buyers and negotiation. They're the two things. So if you think about it, a good real estate agent should actually be just an amazing marketer. Forget about being a valuer. You're not getting paid for valuation. You're getting paid for marketing in real estate. So having a very good understanding of where your passive, active, local and out of area buyers come from is critical because you might find that you get 80% of your buyers coming from one source, but you might find that only 10% come from another source, but the quality of the best buyer might come from that 10% source. Does that make sense? Example, you might have a property that appeals to, you know, uh, people that are got budgets of 10 million, 15 million. Mate, let's be honest, they're probably not gonna be on Snapchat, some of these guys, right? They might be 65, 70, you gotta think to yourself, I've gotta follow the money trail, where are they reading? They might be reading the Australian or the Fin Review. On the other hand, you might have a property in uh, Byron Bay right, that is uh, a hinterland special, massive block of land, acres and acres and acres of land, and you know probably it's a fintech, prop tech buyer. That's the person that can afford to buy this, 25 million, right? So where is this person looking at? So what you're doing is getting an understand is where are the eyeballs? So I think it's, it's critical, and I think real estate agents that love marketing and have a belief that more marketing equals more inquiries, more inquiries equals more buyers, more buyers means more competition, competition wins the Olympic Games gold, competition gets top dollar in real estate. So all of a sudden you've got this linear line that basically says, if I market more, I will get a better price. And agents that have this deep belief in their head, actually, as you said, do not need too many scripts or dialogues or too many PowerPoint pages or they don't need to have an iPad presentation to go through it. Their energy is doing the influencing, right? So I think, number one, if you want to improve your ability to get vendor paid advertising, move away from someone that um, participates in it to someone that is 
all in. That is a, a de- like, like, like it's a religion. Like you talk to someone that's trying to sell religion to you, you know, whatever faith they're into, mate, they, there's no scripts or dialogues there. They're just saying to you, I want to save you, listen to me. That's they're what so they're sold. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> You're going to go to hell, please listen to me, right? Auctions. So you spoke about two things there, which was being a marketer and a negotiator and you're calling auctions week in, week out, quite weak, either side of five, maybe either side of 10, sometimes 15 plus. So you're in a scenario all the time where it's the most sort of raw form of putting a deal together, I think, when you're on the auction floor and particularly in the scenario where there's a reserve, there's the highest bid and there's a gap there and the auctions pause and you take things off the floor to sort of have those discussions. And this obviously assumes it is the best thing for the seller because it's the best money that's out there. But how? what's the art of bringing the deal together in an auction scenario specifically? Things are paused, you take the buyer off the floor. Sort of how do you sort of work that out? Okay, so step one, your chances of working it out are going to be highly dependent on the compatibility and trust and connection you have with that client right because if there's no trust you'll just end up having a client that's going to say example a buyer no no pass it in pass it in no pass it in no that's it pass it in but if you've got trust and connection with a client you can turn around and the way you do it is way before the auction we're talking about the days and the weeks prior to auction you have just been having little jelly beans of trust going into the big jar of trust and everything you're doing is building trust and equity in your relationship with that buyer. And then you pull them up aside and you say, hey, right from the outset, um, I've been talking to you about this property. Even when I spoke to you 48 hours ago, I said to you that if you were going to be in the 900 to 1 million price bracket, that level, it would be great buying. We're at that level right now. And whilst I can understand that you're concerned, which you've told me about the rate rises that happened last week, I want to remind you, you're dating interest rates, but you're marrying the house. You love this house. That's what you're marrying. Rates might go up. They might go down. Over the next 25 years, it's going to look like a zigzag but this home is not moving location. It's two doors up from your parents. It's in the school catchment area. You don't need a car here because the transport is one minute away. It ticks all the boxes. And I'm saying to you, as someone that's not an auctioneer with commission breath, use these funds today because you've got three weeks before the bank has your loan expired you then reapply, they re-rate you because of the new rate rises and you won't even be able to buy this house even if you wanted to. So the question you've got to make right now, Mr and Mrs Buyer, is do you want to make a decision for your family based on the market or based on your life, right? They're the sorts of conversations that agents, they've got to go up in language. They can't, like Carter, this sort of you know, amateur stuff. Oh, trust me, pay it. It's worth it. You won't regret it. Like, it's got to be better than that. You're a deal maker. You're not an order taker. If that's the best you can do, you're better off going to Westfield, get yourself a job in one of the, um, 
you know, retail stores, I don't know, go get a job at Birkenstock or Politics Menswear or whatever, you're right, people want to buy something, they buy it, if not, they move in and uh, that's life. But you're going to get paid the big money because you can actually narrow the gap between the vendor and the buyer. On building out a team as we move towards the end of this interview, so I've heard you say in the past, if an agent's wanting to put someone on, it can be very daunting, especially if they're, they're not absolutely killing it just yet, but they've been given the advice to put someone on because it allowed them to be freed up to do more dollar productive things themselves and it will be a net positive. I heard you frame it in this beautiful way, which could sort of give someone the push out there to take the decision, which is that it's not a 50 or a 60 grand commitment. It's a four grand or a five grand a month commitment. And it doesn't mean play Sims with this person's life and sort of have no intentions of keeping them around for a while, but you do have the ability to sort of outlay that money and then reassess in three or four months and see if it's working. 100%. I mean, people, people, you know, you only pay people for the days they work, right? It's not like you're putting them on, you're going to pay them 70 grand, it's going to be a failure after two weeks. It's not 70 grand, it's two weeks salary of the 70 grand, right? So step number one is you've got to look at things for what they are, not worse than they are, not better than what they are. Basically, they're on for three months, five grand a month. At the end of the three months, it's an easy, yes, you're staying or you're not staying with the laws that we have in Australia, probation. And um, for most people, 95% of people, um, it's you're staying and even when it goes wrong, they fall in love with the concept of outsourcing. They fall in love with the concept of having someone that's doing their non-dollar productive work. They fall in love with the concept of scaling. They might just not like that person, but they're already then in the path of using team members and having assistance. So you never go back. You never go back. And the reason why, it's very simple. If you've got dreams, you need a team. And the bigger the dream, the bigger the team. And don't ever forget it. The pilot does not serve drinks on the plane. They can, they can, but if they were, they would have to leave the cockpit and they would have to go make a cup of coffee and they would have to then serve the customer and if the customer wasn't happy, they'd have to go back in and bring back some milk for them. And that would be a 10-minute job, and the plane might be moving from destination New Zealand and heading to destination um, China, right? Um, and that's the problem with real estate. You take the agent away from the cockpit, which is list, sell, negotiate, put deals together, and you get them to start doing the flight attendant work, sometimes they do it even in a better job than the flight attendant. But that's not the point. The point is your plane's moving off direction. You're moving away from making sales. You're moving away from signing up listings. You're moving away from talking to hot buyers because you're off doing non-dollar productive activity. What's the cure to that? You find someone that likes doing it, that's good at it, you pay the money, and you go off and list and sell more real estate. Before we get to the final question here, this interview show is partially an initiative by 
Shotflow, which is a platform to, for agent and agencies profile through property video. Yeah, Dylan's been amazing, you know, with the work that he's done uh, for me in the short time I've known him. Absolute legend. So you mentioned the, the Gary V sort of interview you've done twice. It's 2023, nearly 2024 now. It's a mouthful. Um, when it comes to digital and social, what, what do you feel is an important part or aspect of that to focus on, particularly for an agent? that might be listening to this. It could even be as simple as just doing a review of their REA profile and just their digital footprint generally. So when people are doing that digital interview, that it looks like they have a star in their area or anything else that might be top of mind. Top of mind stuff, Carter, to me is a story a day keeps the doctor away. As long as you're there every day, people are aware he's there, she's there, they're working and they're doing good stuff. Number two, whenever you post content, always ask yourself, how will it make the people that watch this feel? Very important question. Because if I'm about to post the fact that I've just got myself a new Rolex and I'm driving my new Spider that's been picked up, right? How will it make other people feel? Will they say, what a wanker, right? So you've got to ask yourself, how will it make the people feel? The third thing is understand the digital space is so congested, you don't have times for ums and ahs in your post. You need to make sure that you have a hook. And I spoke about it at the conference with Matt Lancashire the other day. People are scrolling, scroll, 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 right? There is just millions and millions of content that's flying through there. You've got to try and get someone to get their thumb stop, bang, right? So you've got to have a really, really good one second in that video. If you've got a 90-second video, which they've all got to be under 90 seconds, I think, now, because it's a lot easier to use content and repurpose it on TikTok and Insta Reels and the other platforms in vertical form. So just to give you an example, if you start a video and say, well, I think vendors need to actually get... Um, uh, uh, be, be aware and be nervous about giving stupid money away by uh, um, and you start umming and ahhing and you, you haven't even got an opportunity but if you have a really great hook like in the first few seconds this is the number one mistake vendors make in the 37 years I've been in real estate and it costs them on average $85,000 that's Tom Panos right? that is Tom Panos right. that's a hook that's a hook. That's a hook. <laughs> right? All of a sudden. Did you know that Oprah Winfrey owns X amount of real estate? In my 37 years of real estate, this is the grubbiest thing I see agents do. That's a hook. Mm. Bang. What's he about to say, right? So, Carter, I think to myself, to me, the hook is important. And the other thing is, understand, you don't have to be a content creator. You can be a content curator, which basically is that you get other people's content, which I often do with a green screen post, right? You know, I'll get a green screen post, I'll put the financial review behind me, it will say uh, um, uh, mortgage cliff uh, um, to commence in February, right? And I'll have that behind me. And I'll say, hey, it's Tom Panos here. This article here by Mr. Sweeney is telling us February is the mortgage cliff time. Here are the reasons why I think he's missed the point here. And I give my conflicting view, right? That is what content 
curation is. You get other people's content, you comment on it. Um, and, um, and, and the last thing I would say to anyone, um, advice on digital and the social space, you got to let go. You got to let go of thinking to yourself that they expect you to be Julia Roberts or, or, or George Clooney. Mate, you don't have to look that good. You don't necessarily need all the equipment. Like, man, they're not looking for a newsreader. They're looking for someone that can add some real estate value, show some authenticity, show that you're just like them, show that you care about your community, do it on a consistent basis because you've got to remember, recency trumps loyalty, so it's not enough to have actually bought them some flowers when they bought the house eight years ago and think to yourself, I'm going to get the business again when they sell. No, you need to be in their face. And to me, there is no better door knock than the digital door knock because it's knocking every day hi how you going this is what's happening here so um, that's what i would say to people and um, what a, what an incredible opportunity we live in carter right now i mean when i was brought up in real estate i had to go work for a business that had lots of ads in the paper because that typified whether it was a super attraction brand but in 2023, 2024, you can build a personal brand at an astonishing speed if you learn the art of consistency, authenticity, learn to lay it with some good hooks that you're getting people's attention, adding value, being seen as the community agent and coupling it all that as coming through as the, you know, the, the guy that's different, the girl that's different. They say, yeah, they're different. They're not like your normal real estate agent. That's what you want to achieve in real estate. You want people to be talking about you when you're not in the room. And digital and social media can achieve that brilliantly. Final question, Tom. You effectively have this platform with the position you're in now, but imagine you're literally on stage in front of the entire real estate community in Australia and New Zealand. Every single person is seated there and you've got 60 seconds to say anything you would like. What is top of mind for you at the moment that you think the industry needs to hear and could take some value from? Um, number one is understand that you're going to die, that there is no endless number of tomorrows, that time is a, a non-renewable resource, that uh, time is far more important than money because money can come and go into bank accounts, get transferred digitally. Whereas time, once this hour's gone, it is never coming back. So understand the power of time, right? The second thing I would say is understand that we're going to go, you go through two lives in life. The first area of your life is when you're in accumulation mode, when you're growing, when you're pushing, when you're hustling, when you're chasing when you're basically making passion your paycheck and you're on the path of actually having unmet needs met. And then when you get to a certain level, maybe in your 40s, maybe in your 50s, where you realise, man, I've got the money, life's good, I can't run out, then your life changes because you're at the afternoon of life, the second half of life. And second half of life is, if I'm not going to run out of money, what's most important to me right now? And that is, like, can I actually make an impact and make an income? In the first half of life, you don't care as much about as an impact. You care about income. 
But once you've got money, all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, how can I actually improve the lives of the people around me? How can I help people that have got a bad problem and the problem might still be there, but make it bearable? Essentially, what you're looking for is significance in your life. You're looking for meaning because your life has shifted from ambition and chase and it's moving into legacy, improvement, community, and most importantly, when you're gone, what are they going to be saying about you? Tom, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Carter. Thank you. Go, boys! That's wrapping our third episode of Real Agent. Thanks again to Tom for coming on. We've got a great fourth episode lined up. If you would like to be alerted the next time an episode is released, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can head to our site at realagent.co to subscribe to be alerted to new releases there or follow us on Instagram at realagent.co for real content. Thanks again to our partners for this episode, shopflow.io, sellerleadsforagents.com.au and Pacific Byron Bay. See you in the next one.